Today is Tuesday, July 21st, 2020. On this day in 1877, Pennsylvania state militia attacked protesting railroad workers. The Great Railroad Strike of 1877 was one of the largest strikes of the 19th century. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today, we're covering the violent events that broke out when the National Guard attempted to silence angry railway protests in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now let's travel back to the early morning of Saturday, July 21st, 1877, when General Latta's westbound express train approached its destination. Pennsylvania's governor, John Hartraft, was unreachable, vacationing in Wyoming. So General Latta, his second in command, had no choice but to deal with the striking railway workers himself. He mobilized the state's National Guard and rode into Pittsburgh himself. As he neared the station, General Latta peered out his window. He watched as angry railway workers blockaded the freight yard entrance. 2,000 cars and metal scraps had already been stacked, preventing all trains from departing. This was the laborers' response to recent wage cuts and layoffs. When General Latta arrived at 28th Street Station shortly after 1 a.m., his first objective was to meet with Vice President of the Railroad, Alexander Cassatt. The portly man spent much of his time abroad, commissioning paintings from his sister's wealthy artist friends. But on this day, Cassatt hid in his office, refusing to leave until troops disbanded the growing mob outside. But General Latta had some bad news for Cassatt. Pennsylvania's National Guard was still an eight-hour train ride away. Even worse, it would still take them a few hours to gather ammunition and organize their departure. They wouldn't arrive until midday. As General Latta waited with Cassatt, the impassioned chants of outraged protesters only grew louder. Pittsburgh was a ticking time bomb. By late morning, a mob of 2,000 railway workers stood in front of the 28th Street station. 10,000 others crowded in the streets. They sympathized with the rail workers' cause because they too had recently suffered wage cuts. They were all angry with the system. Finally, at 1 p.m., the train carrying the state militia pulled into the station. Cassatt insisted that as soon as the troops liberated 28th Street Station from revolters, the trains would run once more. Everything would be back on track. So taking Cassatt at his word, General Latta directed the National Guard to take back control of the building and arrest the protests' leaders. At 3 p.m., the military men in blue marched toward the crowd of angry workers. When the mob did not yield for the rifle-wielding state militia, the troops attached bayonets to their guns. When the gathered civilians saw this, they threw rocks at the soldiers from the nearby hill. Violence quickly escalated. 
troops stabbed protesters as they pushed forward with their weapons, shooting aimlessly into the crowd. In the chaos, the mob fled to the nearby hill, staining the grass red with blood. Many couldn't escape quickly enough and fell to the ground before the station, lifeless. The armed forces killed 17 men, one woman, and three small children, wounding 29 others. But instead of quelling the uprisings, the deaths only further stoked aggression. The mob took to the streets, looking for weapons of their own. Between 6 p.m. and midnight, rioters looted local shops, including James Bown & Sons Gun Dealership, the largest weapon shop in the city. Pat Foyle, a railway engineer, demanded of the crowd, Come on, men, we need those guns, and by God, we mean to have them. The strikers shoved a telegraph pole through the glass storefront, quickly emptying the store's inventory. In the final minutes of Saturday, July 21, 1887, the mob stalked back to the 28th Street station to avenge the deaths of their comrades. Now completely armed, they wouldn't be stopped. Coming up, the rioters set fire to the streets. Now back to the story. After an evening spent looting local weapon shops, protesters returned to 28th Street Station in the earliest hours of the morning, shortly after midnight. Once at the freight yard, they broke into the abandoned rail cars that had been assembled into a blockade. Cart by cart, they pillaged flour, corn, wheat, ham, bales of cotton, clothing, and liquor. Then, when everyone had taken their share, arsonists leapt atop the train cars nearest the station, lighting them on fire. Among them was Pat Foyle, a railway engineer. He led a group of men on a witch hunt for Cassatt and General Latta. When they weren't able to find either man, they torched the railway offices as conciliation. Flames licked at the sky. Some warned that the entire city might burn, but any thought of stopping was overshadowed by the want for vengeance that permeated through the streets. And after both the station and executive quarters caught alight, riots moved to the roundhouse, where the state militia were stationed for the night. Civilians shot at the building. Inside, General Brinton commanded his officers to shoot at all who dared fire. But the bullets of those in the streets became the last of their concerns when other aggressors lit oil and coal carts ablaze, ramming them into the roundhouse. Rioters hoped to drive out the troops, but the soldiers inside doused the flames with their ample water reserves. Finally, around 7.30 a.m. on the morning of the 22nd, the troops were driven out of their refuge when the shop beside it caught fire and spread to the roof of the roundhouse. In their march to a safer part of the city, three died at the hands of armed civilians. 
It wasn't until the next day that General Latta instructed General Brinton to take his troops out of Pittsburgh, but that was the last of Latta's orders. Governor John Hartraft cut his vacation short to handle the crisis at hand. He requested that President Rutherford B. Hayes immediately send federal troops into Pittsburgh. For the next week, such military occupation restored order. By the time relative peace was restored and the trains began running again, two square miles of the city had been destroyed. Altogether, the damage claimed 1,600 freight cars, 126 locomotives, and 38 buildings. Over 40 civilians died, and more than 100 were arrested. The riots cost the city about $5 million in property damage. After all that, the railway workers still did not receive better wages. They wouldn't let the big corporations walk all over them without pushback. Federal legislation did not change as a result of the protests, but railway companies did exercise greater caution when implementing wage cuts. The national dialogue about workers' rights had been sparked, and in the coming decade, labor unions rose. Like many protests in the U.S., the Pittsburgh Railway Strike of 1877 served as a catalyst for change. It amplified the voices of those who weren't heard and generated a framework for future reform. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Lauren DeLille, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 